First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, I, we've done so many episodes. I think we've done like 210 or 220. Ryan, good to see you. You want to look it up? Uh, if you want to. Sure, I'll look it up. Uh, I hope you guys had a good week or having a good week. If not, um, there's always tomorrow. Uh, I, uh, I just had an energy healer come to the house and work on me. And, you know, some of my friends were really skeptical. and like, energy healer, dude, really? Come on. And then some people were like, hey, it really helped me. And, uh, you know, I feel like it uh, it did give me a little energy and calmness. And at the same time, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know yet. Uh, he says in the days to come, I'll no- notice more. But I gave it a chance. I'm trying different things. I think that's the good part about, you know, when you when you have anxiety or depression or whatever, you've got to sometimes try things out. Not everything works. Sometimes it works worse than you're feeling. It makes you feel bad. And, uh you know, I know that therapy helps me and I know that, you know, um, exercise helps. So uh, hopefully you're having a better week, Ryan. Uh, number 230 was last week. 230 episodes. I mean, that, that might include bonuses, but Holy according to the shit. podcast app, I don't last know. Last week was 230. Oh, man. I can't believe I've done this many episodes. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. 230 episodes. Thanks. I mean, without you, without patron. And my patrons who follow the podcast and support the podcast, they will get their names shouted out at the end of every episode. Of course, I couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. I couldn't uh, could afford to do it. But um, thank you for supporting the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. If you want to join, I'll send you a message. Also, the inside of you online store, tons of fun merch and autographed Lexmas scripts and new inside of you glasses and mugs and tumblers. And uh, our, the Sunspin album is coming. I know I've been saying it, but go to sunspin.com and follow us at Sunspin Band on the socials. And uh, that album is coming out soon. We've worked so hard on it. I hope you guys all get the album and enjoy it because I'm really proud of it. It's, it's something with Rob Danson, my my buddy, my bandmate. We, we did it, and uh, I'm really proud. We had some amazing musicians that we hired. And it was fantastic. If you're just listening to the show, the handles are, Ryan? At Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe, write a review. It helps the show tremendously. Also, um, I mentioned this in the Talkville, in a soon-to-be-aired Talkville episode. It won't be airing now, but my grandfather wrote a diary that my, my father found after he died. A journal, if you will. And it just says a, a little excerpt of like, my my grandson Michael is uh, you know doing a show Smallville. They're in the sixth season. He's a small success, <laughs> and then I took it like small success. He was being he was being he was funny. probably he was being, being cheeky because he is a cheeky guy. He was yeah. a cheeky guy. I, I loved him, but he was a smart ass. <laughs> he was a smart ass. I love that guy. Uh, the guest today is Will Wheaton. I'm so glad he came over to the house, and boy did he pour out his guts. On yeah. that couch where you're sitting right now, right? Right here. He really did. Full of Will Wheaton guts. He talks about his career. He talks about life. He talks about his new book, which is awesome. 
Uh, I think you're really going to love this episode. I know you're going to love this episode because we get into it all. This is one of my favorites. Um, let's get inside of Will Wheaton. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I uh, I make sure that 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 uh, that I always look slightly less awesome than the guests. It's important. It's, it's, hard, important, it's right? hard to do when you look as awesome as I do all the time. I mean, but. you just really have to lower <laughs> lower it down a bit. Yeah, just, just a little like bit. Geek down, geek up, or geek down. Uh, you know, I try to find a nice neutral place that lets people really be their best selves. Right, that's good. Yeah. I do too. I always like my best guests to look better, and they do whether I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> do you understand that's just the way it is i appreciate it. i want to i want to say thanks to seth green for hooking you and i up yeah for real uh, you, you, is it you and i or you and me uh it would be you and hooking me up with you would be you and me you and me hooking you and me up yeah but then yeah. i ended on a preposition is yeah well <laughs> i think but up's one of those weird english words that can also be a verb that's can it be used as a verb you lift it he, up. He no, went. Lift, lift is the verb, and then up is the direction object. where it went. So I guess up is. Maybe it's not. Maybe is is up a direct object? Is it a? Uh, you're talking to someone who did not excel in school. It's been an extremely long time. You're talking to a professional writer who doesn't know all the rules of English grammar. So yeah, you've maybe written. we just gently close that door and walk on down the hallway and act like Let's we never close opened it. it. Door closed. <laughs> how, how many books you've written? Two books. Um. I've I've mainstream published two books. I've written and indie published like four or five more, maybe. Um, and then probably like another, you know, whatever, like half a dozen or so kind of like little one-off saddle-stitched chapbook things, just like right. short stories and little collections and junk that I would uh, uh, sell over the years. The, we're going to get into this. Still just a geek, this book. Um, I just was sent it, so I haven't been able to read it, but I've talked to some people who have read it. Oh, that's and cool. They said you could either read it or Rosenbaum with your ADD, you could listen to it. You do the voice for the audio book? I did, yeah. Wow. You do a lot of audio stuff, too. I do. We can get into that. That's ridiculous. But, you know, the thing is, my friend Christy, mm -hmm. Christy Cambers, mm -hmm. hello, Christy. Hi, Christy. She says, You talk so raw and honestly about the past. But it's more than that. It's like you take responsibility for your actions, whatever those actions might be. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you go deeper. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, I can't wait to read it because there's similarities that I see, or at least parallels that I want to get into that, you know, I think I would have jumped off a bridge if I were your age with the success you had because of my immaturity. Yeah. And I didn't blossom till till years later. In fact, I'm still blossoming. As am I. I and, and we're both going to be 50 in July. I turned 50 a, a, one month from today. I, one month from today, you will be 50 years old. How does that feel? I was thinking about it last night when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and um, it just feels kind of weird. Um, I do not necessarily emotionally feel the way that I expected I would feel as I was turning 50. Um, I feel like way more of a kid than like, I thought, oh, I would be a, like 50 is you're like an adult. When we were 15, 16, younger, or even older, even when we were in our twenties, 
someone who was 50. Ancient. Ancient. My grandmother visited us in, in Indiana in Evansville in 1980, and I believe she was like 54 years old, yeah. and I thought she was just ancient, yeah. and I'm going to be 50. Yeah, and the thing is, like, it's actually really great. Why? I, I love it. Why? Because I have so, a lot of it came with writing this book, and a lot of it has to do with, like, I quit drinking alcohol six years ago, almost seven years ago, and, like, the clarity that that gave me and the, like, um... Uh, the focus that it allowed me to put on myself to heal a very traumatic childhood um, and and invest time and effort into caring for myself and and finding like all the places where I hurt and starting to figure out why. So as I'm like turning 50, I'm not worried about like what other people think. I accepted and 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 have worked on living in the reality that I. Um, my dad never loved me and my mom made me a thing she could use to get attention. And I eventually, after years of trying to have a healthy, loving, familial relationship with, with my family of origin, I had to end it because it was so unbelievably painful. So at this time in my life where I thought like, well, I mean, it's over, you know, it's the middle, everything's done. You're boring. You don't do fun stuff. You just like, you go to work, you come home, that's it. I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. And, and honestly, like, I feel like I'm me instead of constantly playing a role. Let me back up a little bit and give you by a little way, context. By the way, I yes, I could open up to this. I, I just, I feel like my whole life I've been playing a role. And I think this podcast has given me the opportunity to open up and be more vulnerable and have purpose. Writing but did I've, the same thing for me. I, I've been really trying desperately because I think I covered up and this is a podcast about you, but it's about everybody. It's about yeah. people. And I think a lot of my listeners, they're really going to be able to relate to a lot of the things you say but i i felt like you know whether it was it was a reality to me but i feel i felt like i didn't fit in same when i, when I grew, grew up when Absolutely. i was growing up and i felt like the only way to fit in was to be outlandish funny michael ridiculous michael yeah trying to make everybody laugh because i didn't feel comfortable being me nerd me little me totally tiny me me who didn't mature me who was the smallest kid in my high school yeah so i feel like i covered something up something changed when i was a little boy i don't remember how old i was but it was almost like that me i covered up for mm -hmm. so many years and now i'm starting to take off layers of that and tried to find who I really am as mm -hmm. a human being. And I, what I've read and what I've heard and what you've already said in, in just a few words, um, you can probably tell me a lot about that. So my, um, I want to, I'm interested about this because we're both nerds <laughs> who, who, who were kids who loved nerd stuff. Yeah. And I've had this conversation with Seth too. We're nerds who love nerd stuff and now we're adults and each of us was part of something that's a big deal to our nerd culture. Right. Like each of us like has managed to do something that is going to matter to future generations of nerds. Right. Right. Yeah. Is, is it so like for me, that's super cool, super cool, real, real weird and like impossible to wrap my head around. I never thought no one would ever think that little Rosenbaum, little me would ever amount to anything period the end yeah. that's just the reality and nor did i i really thought yeah. i always had this death wish that i thought i was going to die young mm -hmm. i thought i wasn't just i wasn't going to make it to high school i thought i wasn't i just i remember thinking these things Gosh, like, i can't i can't fit in i can't i'm not smart enough Ugh. i'm not good enough i can't and i don't know how it happened but then jumped now looking back it's like 
dude, you did all these things. And it's, it's learning how to sort of go, hey, you accomplished this. You did this. Be proud of yourself. And it's all these things, but it's certainly still a little disbelief. Yeah. And it's hard to totally. accept that. But go on. So I was seven years old and my mother was um, a kind of like moderately successful commercial actor had like had booked a few commercial jobs not a lot but in the late 70s if you booked a national network television commercial you could buy a house so she did and we did and then she wasn't working very much and took me with her to an audition where she was like to be the mom and took me to play the role of the kid. Now, I didn't want to do this. None of this was my idea. And that is extremely important. And how right? old are you? I'm seven. Seven. She takes me. We book the job. I'm seven. I'm just doing what I'm told to do. None of this is like, I want to do this. Okay. I'm just, are you terrified? I'm just, I don't remember. You don't remember. I just remember like, I'm doing what mom says to do. Right. Um, and uh, that, we did the commercial and uh, I had fun. It was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And she said, okay, so now you're going to go to the agency. You're going to have a meeting with the children's agent and you're going to tell her, I want to do what mommy does. And she's going to have you do. And she walked me through, this is how you get an agent. And you right? remember that. And I remember that. And I'm seven and I'm like, okay, I'm doing what you want me to do. I still don't understand. This is never presented to me. Like you have a choice. Do you want to do this? It was, this is what you're going to do. And this is in California. This you grew California. up in Burbank? I grew up in Burbank. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. We actually lived in Sunland, which is kind of like up in the North Valley, which then was to Los Angeles, what like Valencia is to LA now. It was like the frontier of the North Valley. Right. right? And uh, a Shortly after that, the agent signed me. I was I was extremely good. One of the reasons I, I excelled at being a child actor is I'm very, very good at taking direction. And I was very much a people pleaser. Um, uh, mm. The environment in my home was extremely abusive and really unhealthy. Abusive and how? My father was is the most emotionally abusive person I've ever known in my entire life. Wow. Uh, I didn't have a dad. I had a bully that I had to live with. Um, and he loves and worships and adores my brother and my sister, anything for them from my earliest memory, nothing I could ever do was good enough for him. I was never like nothing. Oh, man. I, at one point I was one of the most famous actors on the planet and it wasn't enough for him to love me, which is a really important thing for me to figure out as I get older, because it helps me understand that it, it was never about me. It was just about whatever his problem is, you know? Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I've been using this stuff, Ryan, for focus. Uh, I just feel better, a sense of well-being. If you want to help resist aging at the cellular level, you got to try Qualia Synaletic. Um, have you heard about Synaletics, Ryan? Uh I have a little bit, but why don't you tell me about it? It's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity, but let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why we use Qualia Senolytic. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. And then I tried Qualia Synaletic. And just to let you guys know, 
I was trying this stuff before they became a sponsor, and I've said this before, but it's important to know because I love this product before they were the, uh, our sponsor. And I felt like it was working for me. I felt like I had a focus. I just felt my memory, everything, uh, sense of well-being. I just felt better. And um, I know people, listeners that have come up to me saying how much it works for them. And I like that. I like that it's it's not just me that notices the effects, but everyone else around me. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle age feeling, also known as zombie cells. They are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. It's kind of like pruning and the yellowing uh, of, of dead leaves off a plant. Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And you get a 100-day money-back guarantee. Um, like I said, my energy levels are up. I feel younger when I take it. I feel more focus, less aches and pains, and Lord knows I have those. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about BetterHelp, and it has helped a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family, and uh, it's just so important. I, I find therapy to be so helpful in so many different ways. A lot of us wish we had more time, but time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Therapy can help everyone be the best they can be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot inside. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You've heard me talk about Shopify. It's because I use Shopify. I love it. It's so easy to use. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch or online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Why it's so easy is when I want to add a product, you just go to your Shopify page and under products, you hit products 
It says add a product. And then you go in there and you add a picture of your product, which is self-explanatory right there. A little description, how much it weighs, how many of the item you have, and you're ready for business. It's so easy. And I say that because I can do it. And the analytics are easy to see what your best-selling product is and uh, you know what's not selling so you don't reorder things that aren't working. And it's just so easy to use, and I, uh, I really dig it. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Yeah, I sell t-shirts and and tumblers and scripts and whatever you want to sell it doesn't matter you can do it on shopify once you start selling shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36 percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. It wasn't your problem. It was his problem. Yeah. And this is a really important thing that all of us who survive uh, trauma and especially those of us who are scapegoats in, in dysfunctional families, we have to understand that it was never about us. It has nothing to do with us. We're unfortunate. It could have been our brother or sister, right? Yeah. Like it, it, if it's, if it's not in a family relationship, if it's in a business or romantic relationship, it would have been the person that was in that seat before you, or it will be the person who's in that seat after you. But why it's does it never about you? Why does it take so much time to figure that out? Because, well, I mean, I know for me being in the family, right? I was gaslit by my mother, my mom, about a year after, within a year of her sending me to the agency, right? I'm going on auditions every single day after school. You know what LA traffic is like. I'm sitting in LA traffic every single day after school. I'm seven, eight years old. I want to be home playing, you know? I want my Star Wars figures. I want my He-Man. I want my bike. Like, that's what I want. I want to be a kid. I yeah. keep saying to my mom, please let me be a kid. Please let me be a kid. And she's telling me over and over again, this is what you wanted to do. I gave up my career for you. Like, I remember that so clearly from being so manipulative, so manipulative and then spending my entire childhood stand by me, Star Trek all the way until I'm like in my thirties and deciding I don't really want to do this. So you've never really loved what you've done. No. I mean, I enjoy being on the set. I enjoy being around other artists. I love being around other artists. It is where I feel the most at home. It's where I feel the most safe. It's where I feel like I'm around people who have the same weird expressive thing that I have. So I love being on the set, right? Getting to the set sucks. <laughs> like traffic and travel sucks. Auditions suck. Being on the set like, for 14 hours sucks. It sucks. All that it's shit sucks. You know, when, when you're in the last eighth of the day and like for whatever reason they bring you in before lunch for some reason that you don't understand, like all of that sucks. But when you're in a scene, when I'm in a scene with somebody and something cool happens, something 
happens in an improv moment that neither one of us expected or the director's like, you know, I think we're going to try this in a one and let's see if we can make it work. And you pull it off, right? Like just that stuff feels so good. The, the overwhelming joy for me of being on Star Trek as a Star Trek fan and walking into, there's a place on stage nine where you could walk in the corridor of the Enterprise at kind of the curvature of the saucer section of the Enterprise. You could walk into it between the transporter room and engineering and you could get in there and there's this point in the corner where you can't see anything else. All you can see is I'm inside the Enterprise. 15 year old me, 16 year old me went there as often as I could to stay there and pretend that it was real. Like, I loved that. I loved all of it, but everything else, the auditioning, the politicking, the inherent predatory toxic nature of so many people who are in positions of power in this industry. I hated all of it. I, and you I, expressed this to your mother. I did over and over and over again. And there was a point in my life, I just gave in. I just gave up. And it would have been, it would, it would have been like Stand By Me changed everything. And it would have been right after Stand By Me. I literally went to bed and woke up the next morning. I went to bed totally anonymous and woke up the next morning. And the four of us were like the Stranger Things kids. Like it happened literally overnight. And what is that feeling like that you recall? Could you, could you walk down the street? Yeah. I mean, that eventually changed, right? right? You know, that took a little bit of time. Right. I don't remember exactly when this happened, but it was after Stand By Me and it was before Star Trek. I went to Magic Mountain with some friends. Right. And kind of got mobbed by teenage girls. And I didn't like it. You didn't like I it? I didn't like it at all. And how old are you? I'm probably I'm at least 13. Right. I'm maybe on my way. I'm maybe a little bit closer to 14. So you just want to be with but your friends and so enjoy it, right? But here's the thing about that, right? I have a friend who is a legitimate toured the world rock star, right? Front man for a band, right? Like a groupie fucking dude, right? <laughs> like that's just like right. he has had that life. And the stories he tells are crazy, all right? When I was young and I was famous and I can remember now the occasional person kind of like really sort of throwing themselves at me, I never was receptive to that because I felt like that person doesn't see me. That person sees the thing from TV and the movies and I'm tired of being that thing. I don't want to be that thing. I'm that thing in my house. I'm that thing. Wow, you felt this at a young age. Oh, yeah, I was super aware of it. I was super aware. I was aware of it when we were doing Stand You were by uncomfortable. Me. Extremely uncomfortable. And I didn't like it. And I was like, you know what? I I understand now, you know, as an I've been married for 25 years and wow. and 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 it's great. And like and like my wife is my favorite person in the world. And and we were talking the other day about how when we were younger, like we just weren't people who were kind of like I don't know, sexually adventurous or like, you know, fooling around with tons of different people and stuff like that. And it turned out that we both came at that from a place of like, I just want someone to see me, right? Like if you could see me instead of your idea of what you want me to be, this would be really great. Yeah, let's fool around. It'll be fun, right? Yeah. But like, I don't want to be your thing. And that was how I felt for so much. 
of of my entire childhood. So when when that was all I felt like, and I felt like the only way I mattered in my home, I knew I didn't matter to my dad. But I thought, really was yeah. it was it with the what did he, what would he say to you? What what actions would he have that made um, you feel like that? It was relentless, nonstop undercutting me humiliating me mocking me um uh teasing me until i would get upset and then laughing at me for getting upset what would he tease you about i mean what wouldn't he tease me about was it was it a competitive thing i think it may have been um i you know i tried super hard to have honest, vulnerable conversations with both of my parents for years to understand where this all came from in the hopes that maybe as as a family, we could find a way to kind of work through all of this stuff. Yeah. My, my parents are both narcissists. Oh, um, uh, and um, when I, they're the kinds of people that you can't- Confide talk, in. And you can't talk to because- when I would try to talk about these things with my mom, right? It was always turned around and twisted. And like, if I said, let's say I say a hundred um, deeply meaningful, emotionally vulnerable words and two words that as it turns out are factually incorrect. It wasn't a green sign. It was a yellow sign, right? All we talk about is the color of the sign because if I don't remember the color of the sign, how do I possibly remember everything else? That was sort of how they were, right? So I have to write things down. So I wrote out this extraordinarily long, like, here is my heart. I'm pouring it out to you. How old are um, you? you sent oh, gosh, this was only a few years ago. This is like five years ago. Oh, so you gave them a chance. Oh, yeah. Big time. Like, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. your opportunity yeah. to acknowledge the things that yeah. you've done. And yeah. maybe we could salvage this. Yeah. And I was like, I really want this. You know, like, here is my reality. I feel like dad doesn't love me and never has. I feel like mom made me a thing. And I want to be your son. And I want to know how we can make that happen. And I want to know what we can do together to like to to so I don't have to hurt anymore. I sent that email to both of them. It was four months before my mother responded to me. So I sent an email that said, I think my dad doesn't love me. And my mom waited four months to reply to me. My dad waited six months to reply to me. So just that spoke volumes. To it, you. it told me everything I needed to know. Just after just like a couple of days, I was like, you know, if either one of my kids was like, I- I'm concerned about our relationship, You'd respond I would drop immediately everything. when my mom finally replied to me. It was classic her. It was this enormous list of all the things that were just so important. She didn't have time to talk to me. And what I'm supposed to do is feel guilty that I'm taking her away from like her horse. Right. But what I'm reading is, here's all the things that are more important to me than you. The email from my dad, which I did not read, came with the following subject line. Your mother wants me to email you. Oh, okay, cool. So it's not, you don't want to, you don't care about this. It's not important. Your mother wants me yeah. to email you. And you just threw your heart out on the table yeah. with all these was, things. Yeah. And this is the response you go. Yeah. And what was your first feeling? I was really hurt. I was angry. Um, I felt depressed. Um, I have mental illness. I have depression and anxiety and PTSD. And, uh, I'm really aware of all of that. And like, I know how my brain interprets things in ways that, uh, that then turn around and express themselves, uh, in ways that are like sort of hurtful to me, you know? So like, I have to think about like, okay, I understand what's going on and 
I'm not the person dad said I was. So like, don't react to that invented reality from all the gaslighting and stuff, you know, right. like know who you are and know what's going on. And it's hard because when you, a lot of the response I know from, I'm not comparing myself at all, but I know that with my parents, it's more like, um, Oh, stop it. You're being, you're, you're being melodramatic. You're, you're it's, so all dramatic. Def, it's all deflecting. It's, it's all, all deflecting. The, oh, come on. We were, oh, they, boy. it's amazing how your parents, at least my parents, they just, they think that they were just these great parents. Yeah. They, they, they don't, they don't accept or acknowledge any of their, like never, I'm so sorry for the way I made you feel. That's yeah. all you wanted to hear for yeah. your whole life. All you wanted to hear from your mother was like, I am deeply sorry yeah. and wounded that I made you feel like this. Yeah. What can I do to fix this? Your father yeah. is saying, you never yeah. ha heard those things. No, and I and I, 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 I didn't and I never will. Um, and I had to just accept that. And I had to accept that it's not about me. And this is a thing that I work on, I struggle with. I know a lot of trauma survivors work on it too. Like, it's just not about us. And it was never about us. So there's really nothing we can do to change this thing. It's like, you know, if you draw a circle, you put yourself inside the circle and you put all the shit that, that, that people are putting on you outside the circle. I can only take care of what's inside the circle. I can't deal with any of this stuff. I can't change the fact that my dad hates himself. I can't change the fact that my dad resents me for earning money to support the family. When we were kids, like I was supporting the family when I was like, 10, 11, 12 years old. Like, like all of that resentment and, and, uh, it's stuff. It's just like, when I talk about all of this stuff, you know, it's not like he Does was, it help. It's yeah. Because it's sort of like, I spent my whole life participating in a thing I knew was a lie. I knew that you wanted to be an actor. Will was a lie. And that's the giant lie upon which my mother built her entire life and, and sort of held me on it too. Right. But it's like sand, you know? And as soon as I touched the sand, it all started to fall apart. And I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's why I started writing when I initially wrote just a geek in 2004. And that came out of the blog that I started in 2000. I didn't know that what I needed to do was just tell my truth right? My whole life, other people had been speaking for me. When I was a child, it was always my mom. She was in charge of everything. Then when I was then from after Stand By Me, it was the studio publicists who were like moving me through. You the never world had your own and, voice. Uh, never had my own voice. When I was on Star Trek, I had my own voice on the set. My cast who have become my family were always there. They always showed up. They loved me and, and nurtured me and cared for me. That was the place I was allowed to be real. But the instant I was out of the set and it was teen magazines and Star Trek conventions and publicity and all that, I had to say what was put into my mouth by other people. So around 2000, the internet's really making its way into everybody's homes now. And we suddenly have this ability to kind of like speak for ourselves like all of us online have this ability to do that. And that's why I started my blog. I didn't know it at the time. I was just like, I just want to write a diary. And like, I want to like be online. And the websites I like reading are people's journals and their regular lives. And like, I want to do that. So I did that. Got the pressure to do a book, which I felt I wasn't ready to do. You weren't ready to, div to div divulge, were you? Not at all. So I wrote Just a Geek when I was like 26 or 27. 
And wow, so this follow up's 20 something years later. It's 18 and a half years later. Wow. And I am so grateful to my editor, David Pomerico at Moro, because David, uh, we submitted a, a manuscript. My agent and I submitted a manuscript that I had written for a, a, a fictional, semi autobiographical fictional story. And um, I knew that this book needed something. I didn't know what it was. I knew that it wasn't quite complete. And I was like, if I can find an editor who wants to work on this together, this is going to be a cool story. I know it. And nobody really wanted to do that. But David was like, I really liked Just a Geek. And I recently reread it. And I've, re and I've been listening to you now. And you're such a different person. Just look at it and see if you would want to go back and annotate it and revisit it and like finish that story, which was started and left incomplete 18 years ago. Did you feel like it was incomplete? Is that somebody or did hearing that from someone? I was like, oh my God, you're right. I didn't know that it was incomplete wow. until I sat down to do it. So I sat down and I started annotating it. Right. Right. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, dude, you make a stupid homophobic joke because it's like a lazy high school joke. Right. And uh, I had to annotate that and immediately talk about like why that is not okay now. It wasn't okay then. Why younger me thought it was Taking okay. Taking responsibility and for why, your actions. And why it's like really gross and offensive, right? Right. Then I get into like, oh my God, I just turned like, oh, I just took this, this woman who's like doing her job and I made her a punchline because it makes me the hero of the story. And I was like, that's not okay either. And it's lazy writing. It's bad writing. So I annotated that. Then I got to a place where I, and I don't remember specifically what it was, but I got to a place where I, I read what was in the original Just a Geek and I got to the end of like that paragraph or that chapter or whatever. And I knew all of this was happening because I desperately wanted my dad to notice me. Wow. And I need to talk about that. And I started writing about that. And then I started writing about um, all the other things I held back. And... I kind of revisited all of this stuff. And there's moments in that book, things that were massively consequential at the time that they happened, like, you know, kind of almost getting a job that, that I had completely forgotten about. Uh, auditions that were like, I worked so hard to prep the auditions and then the auditions were awful. Like, you know, you work really hard. I don't, I don't know how long it's been since you had to audition, but like, do you remember you work really hard to prep a role and you feel good about it? They're like, there's six scenes. You prep all of them. You go in, they don't care that you're there and you start and they go, oh, we're only doing the first scene. Why the fuck did I prep six the scenes worst. if we're only the doing the worst. first scene? I'm like, look, man, just tell me the truth. We cast this yesterday and we didn't want to cancel the session. You know, like, cool, yep. I'm here. Like, this is what I look like. This is what I sound like. Uh, maybe you keep me in mind for something else, but don't put me through this. Yeah, right? that happens a lot. Yep. So, and I was just like, I hate this. And I hate that I had to act my whole life like it's awesome. You know, like, well, you just got to keep on going. And I was like, no, it's bullshit and it sucks and I hate it. And I started telling that part of the story. And then I just, in the process of doing all of this, I was simultaneously doing a lot of uh, therapy and a lot of academic research into childhood trauma and how it affects wow. the developing childhood brain. And I began to very clearly see what a traumatic childhood I really had. And that it was so much worse than I thought it was. And, and in these different, like in the different, 
the different kind of online support areas for people who were raised by narcissists, the thing that I started seeing was all these other people who are not me, who are not in the entertainment industry, uh, who are of different generations than me. Well, their parents said the exact same things to them that mine said to me. You're too dramatic. You're so sensitive. Well, that's not how I remember it. Well, why didn't you say anything then? Uh, wow. uh, uh, you know, you're just, why are you all against me? It's all of these things. It's all narcissistic deflection and all that. And um, the biggest one, the number one, the most effective manipulation tool my mother ever used on me, and it worked every single time. And I hate that it worked as effectively as it did. My mom would say, there's nothing more important than family. When I didn't want to do a thing, when I didn't want to go apologize to my dad after he hit me, when I didn't want to like go do a piece of crap movie because I hated the script, but like they were offering some, you know, slightly overscale or whatever like that, right? Whenever anything came up, we're like, oh no, that's not, you know, that's not for me. You know, like this individual doesn't want to do that. My mom would say, nothing's more important than your family. Why aren't you looking out for your family? And I learned that the, that's not unique to my mother, that that is extremely common in manipulative narcissists. They say, they tell you, this thing they are in, that they are demanding you do is about supporting the capital F family and they weaponize the family against you. And you know what my mother said? You only have one mother. Same thing. It's the exact same thing. You only it, have one mother. Yeah, and it gets you, right? I mean, it just like in the center of your heart. When oh I my die, God. you're going to be very sad. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. So I can, see, I can remember it. I mean, I still hear it. The thing that was actually really helpful and healing and validating for me was knowing that I'm not the only person who has experienced that. And that these things that, 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 I, that I was sort of like subjected to by these two people are horribly common, which means it was never about me. And there is nothing I could have done to make it different. And what I rather than, and this is the decision I made years ago when it was time to just end contact with, with my family of origin was like, I can keep doing this. I can keep like hitting this wall and hoping that this time, you know, the brick's going to move. Right. Or I can just walk away. How hard is it? First, two questions. First is how do you know you're being raised by narcissists? I, what, what is, I don't know. You don't know. I, well, I mean, when I mean well, how when, does one know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just like, I think when you're in the middle of it, right? There's this, I talk about, I've been talking, I've been using this a lot. I'm hoping that a lot of people who are, who are like maybe paying attention to me for the very first time will hear me talk about David Foster Wallace. So they're going to go read this essay. It's a beautiful essay. It's called, This is Water. And it's this uh, speech that he gave at a, uh, uh, at, a graduate to, at a college graduation. And he starts it out by saying, there's these two fish cruising in an aquarium and the one fish looks at the other fish and goes hey how's the water and the fish goes what's water and then david foster wallace goes on to say all of this is water all of the garbage in your world is water and then he talks about it right wow and it's beautiful and it's really incredible and it's just about like learning to see and experience and be aware of whatever the water is right so that you're not just like floating in it, right? You're yeah. like moving through it with purpose, okay? 
So I grew up in this environment where the water was, yeah, you have to earn love and affection. You have to earn feeling validated and seen in your home. Um, so nothing's you, you unconditional. Know, nothing's unconditional at all. Um, and uh, I just really, I got so used to that, that I didn't, I could not wrap my head around, this isn't normal. This isn't how everybody is treated. Because we all want to believe that our families love us and cherish us and are a safe place for us. And when we're told over and over and over again, nothing's more important than family. And the thing that my mother did was she would point at people doing exactly what she was doing and say, I'm not doing that. Look at how unhappy that kid is. Like, right. I, you, know, you know, like I'm not a stage mom like that kid's stage mom is. It wasn't until like maybe three years ago, I saw a movie with a, with a kid in it who was one of my contemporaries when we were kid actors. And this kid, if I said his name, every single person uh, of my age group who was going on auditions would be like, oh my God, that poor kid. And that kid's awful fucking mother. Like we all know this kid. There are, if there, uh, if our mutuals are listening to this, they're like, they know exactly who I'm they talking, know what you're about, talking about. Right. I saw him in a movie and I had a flashback, like um, all of time compressed. And I was not sitting on the couch in my game room watching this, this kid in a movie. I was a little boy in the auditions, just hundreds of auditions where this kid is every single time. And I can see the fear and the sadness and the pain in, him, in everything about him. I, I remember his mother smacking him, physically slapping him in the hallway outside auditions and screaming at him that he wasn't whatever, you know, he just wasn't enough one way or another. And my mom always making a really big deal about how like, well, I'm not like that, right? Isn't that something? You could have it worse. Yeah. You could have it worse. You have a house, a roof over your head. Yeah. You totally. don't eat every night. Yeah. It makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I'm acting like an asshole. So I, I, in the midst of this movie, I suddenly realized that there's just no difference between me and this kid when we're little kids on auditions. The only difference is my mom is on, a, is on better behavior in public. My mom doesn't hit me, but my dad does. My dad hits me all the time. But like my mom doesn't, you know, she is protecting her like investment, I guess. <laughs> you know, she's like making sure that this. Or that making this, herself this, look good in front yeah, of the people and that's, to the outside world. Yeah. The, like one of her defining characteristics is like, what will the neighbors think? You know, like it doesn't matter what the truth is. What do they think? Yeah. So I had this, I had this flashback that was, it was terrible. And I spent a few days in like a massive, massive crisis because of it. And when I came through it and got through the other side, it was like I had, I had admitted to myself and I had confronted this thing that was really painful and, and had been like looming over me my entire life, which was that huge lie. And that was when I realized and it became, and it really crystallized inside of me that I was never wrong. I was never. It was never I was, your I, fault. I was, it was never my fault. I was no different than that kid. Like he didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. Our mothers were making us be there. 
The only difference is that he, like his path took him into like, you know, B movies and my path took me to someplace different. But like, as far as it goes, as it relates to our, to our moms, there was no difference there. And I had been told my entire life, you're not that kid, I'm not that kid's mom. And it was like my brain or like this physical manifestation of like a, a like, you know, higher will spirit from another dimension yeah. just grabbed me and was like, dude, look, look and know and like see this. And it was real hard and it was really painful and it was really traumatizing. That's all from really watching and seeing this former actor that you had. Yeah your peer yeah. and all these things came to you all of it it was like and i had never had like an actual flashback before you know like i felt like i was six seven eight years old sitting on the couch at like Did you cry at so much i went into the house and my wife was like what's wrong and i just crawled onto her and sobbed oh my god um and she was like what what's what's going on and i talked to her through it she's been wonderful like from day one real supportive really sees me and and uh and and has always like just been supportive of like the true things that happened to me and then like also pointing out you know like yeah i remember you know your mom said this and your dad did that you know like when the kids were younger and we were like trying to like bring my parents into our family and have like you know a multi-generational family yeah um you know i i absolutely commend you and you know this book the, the honesty that I, I can tell comes through it and the, the thing that i keep thinking about is like how brave the hardest thing I, I have to imagine is making that decision to finally cut your parents out of your life yeah. that had to be the toughest decision out of all the decisions yeah. and how did you do so um because it, i'm sure it, there's a so lot it, of people that you know have thought about that have yeah. this this these demons and these these parents that they're like are just toxic and they don't know what to do because they're just it's a cyclical thing they go through i think that it was mostly um it was that choice was facilitated by by my arrival at acceptance of of the two people who are my parents but they're also human beings in this world and they were human beings in this world before they were my parents my paternal grandmother was a monster just a john birch racist um a horrible despicable person so cruel to my sister my mom and me worshipped my brother worshipped my dad dad never protected us from her my dad didn't become who he is in a vacuum he became who he is because of what he experienced he wasn't able or willing to do the same kind of work that I needed to do to be the dad my kids deserve. He wasn't able or wow. willing to do that work wow. to be the dad that I deserve. You needed to break the cycle. You were the I one had to break, to break the, the cycle. generational cycle, yeah. My maternal grandparents, I don't know very much about. Uh, my mom's an unreliable narrator and she very much substitutes the world she wants to tell the story about for what actually happened. And there's just not a lot of family alive on her side of the family that I'm close to that I can even reach out to to find out like what the truth is, right? But the way she tells it, my maternal grandfather was an alcoholic um, 
and uh, my maternal grandmother who died when I was very young, but who I remember as someone who loved and adored and cherished me and made me feel safe and cared for and like, like all of that, right? My mom presents her as this woman who was unsupportive of her. So it was very important to mom that she was really supportive of me and, you know, my dream to be an actor. The, the reality is my mom wanted to be a model, wanted to be an actor, couldn't pull it off and blamed her mom for not being supportive, right? Rather than, you know, and then like just, it was always somebody, somebody else's kind of thing. Understanding all of those things that these people were not created in a vacuum and that when I worked real hard to like, kind of be the adult in the relationship and say, could we please work on this? They, they chose to behave the way that they chose to behave. That's not going to change ever. And there came this, the, the, when I reached this, this, this point where I was like, I got to heal this on my own. They're not going to be part of it with me. It sucked. It's hard. Like not having parents sucks. To this day, when cool things happen to me, when this book made the New York Times bestseller list, my instinct was, oh, I should call my parents. Right. Oh, wait, I don't have parents to call. So I called my Star Trek cast. So that's I, your family. That's my family. That's who you call. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's, have your parents reached out to you? No. Have, have they, they've not even reached out to you no. or are they, um, are, so, they, are they so hurt and damaged from what, you know, you've said in the press or the, or the book or that they've just, they've, they've just shut you out as well. Um, I blocked their contacts in my cell phone, uh, which is pointless to do with my dad because before I stopped, before I ended contact with him, he had not called me or texted me or made an effort to communicate with me for four years. I looked in my phone. Four years. Four years. He did call me once because he misinterpreted a thing I wrote on Facebook and decided it was about him and called me to yell at me about it. And I was like, that's, you're, you've like, none of this is, I'm, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he was like, it was weird. It was like, I want you, it's like you imagine like a dog losing its shit at the door. And then you open the door and there's no one there. And the dog goes, Oh, and then just leaves, right? That was my dad's attitude. And I said, I got to tell you, when I saw your name on my phone, I was really excited because you haven't called me in such a long time. I would love it if you would just call me. And my dad says, well, you know, the phone works both ways. So like, okay, when people tell you who they are, believe them. You've done everything you can do. You yeah. sent the email. I did you, absolutely everything. You did and everything. Then, and you know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had to... um I had to block them because my mom would just text me bullshit. And, and then a whole other part of this in the dysfunctional family dynamic is my brother, the golden child, uh, like got angry at me years and years ago because I wouldn't, it was a thing with, with me, like not giving them money. And like, he got really angry at me and was like, you're dead to me. And I, my brother had stopped talking to me years before I stopped talking to my parents. So I haven't talked to my brother for like, it's going to be about 10 years or something like that. Right? Um, and uh, in, in like, in, in, all, in all of that and that whole thing, my mom was constantly texting me, you know, like trying to make it my responsibility to repair a relationship with my brother who told me I don't want a relationship with you, right? And I finally, like, up on, like, even after I had said, I'm going to go and heal these things on my own, she was still doing it. And I was like, I'm an, I don't need this 
invasion of my life over and over and over again. So I had to block both of them. Um, How many years has it been since you haven't talked to your parents? Five or six, I guess. No contact. None. I did an interview with Access Hollywood for uh, just as part of this whole thing, you know, the promotion and all that stuff. And they were talking to like a couple of us that were uh, child performers who have since gone on to do something different with our lives. Um, we found our own form of success, our own form of happiness, our own form of uh, uh, um, like fulfillment in the world, right? And like, what's our story? So I sat with Access Hollywood and I told the story and I, you know, my story is that my dad was emotionally and physically abusive. My story is that my mom forced me to do a thing that I didn't want to do and then gaslighted me about it for my entire life. And like, I'm sorry that they don't like that story. A real good way to not have me tell that story is to have written it differently. Their they, way. Their way, right? So Access Hollywood, after I did this interview, Access Hollywood said, I, uh, we need, you know, we're a journalist organization. We need to give them an opportunity to comment. And I said, okay, my dad's going to say no comment because he doesn't care. And my mom is going to say, I had no idea. Um, and I'm shocked. And I said, go ahead. But that's what's going to happen. And then they're both, and then she's going to, he won't say anything and she's going to lie and lie and lie and lie. And it is exactly what happened. I like almost down to the words that I predicted. Wow. I was like, I just know these people and I know what they're going to do and I know what they're going to say. And the thing is, it's not unique to me. It is common among narcissists and it is common among emotionally immature parents, all of this stuff to go on. Taken as a whole, I'm left with how much it sucks to not have parents, you know? It hurts. There's a black hole Absolutely. in my life. Absolutely. There is a giant black hole in my heart that will never be filled ever. I have good, close, loving friends in my life who have assembled themselves into the same shape as the puzzle piece that is missing from me. And they can go in there and they can fill in that, that shape, but they can't fill the hole. The hole is always going to be there because my dad chose to not love me and i will never know for my entire life what an unconditional father's love is because it was deliberately withheld from me that sucks and it hurts all the time having my parents is more painful for me than having no parents wow and that really sucks it's really sad and the part of me who's like compassionate and empathetic and the part of me who's the writer, the storyteller, the, the actor who has to understand characters and motivations and all of that stuff. I'm also sad for what they're missing out on. Yeah. You know, it's so the, easy. It's, it seems like it would be so easy, I guess, not for them, not for these particular people to, if, you know, again, if you meant that much to them to reach out and say, this needs to stop. I do love you. You are my son. I am wrong. I, but it's not worth it to them, obviously. Yeah, it, and that's, um, that's what hurts probably the most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it sucks. I, it sucks. I, I and went, it's, yeah. It super sucks. And it's a super giant bummer. And like, you know, I spent a lot of time feeling really sad about that. Yeah. And there are days where it kind of 
punches me in the back of the head or a little if you bit, see a movie you know? and with parents and or it happens right i mean can you deal with like you know not to be sound macabre but like you know there's gonna be a time that comes when you know you're gonna you'll your parents will have gone away they'll, they'll have mm-hmm. passed away and i you know that happens for everybody yeah and it's got to be like you know it's probably going to still hurt because there's these unresolved things, yeah. but like you have to know, at least I'm, look, I'm not a therapist, but I've been through a lot of therapy and I've yeah. been through a lot that we could talk about when it comes to parents. And I've gone through stages where I'm like crying and emotional and then realize I forgive them. And I'm like, what, yeah. how did you just say that? And it just comes out of you. And you're like, I forgive them for, you know, they, they did the best they could. They did. I give, you know, my, I give them too much credit perhaps, but I also have let things go and sort of said, Hey, this is the relationship I'm going to have. This is the, but it almost, not almost, it seems impossible to have any kind of relationship with the people that you're talking about. Yeah. Because they don't want to have a relationship with me. That's exactly the right. They want, mom wants to own a thing. I've, I've said that my mom loves me the way like a nine-year-old girl loves her dolls. Hmm. She loves them so much. She cherishes them. She takes really good care of them. Like is constantly setting them up and having them play out scenes and and like living out what her dreams and fantasies are. And like she's projecting everything that she can't get herself into these dolls. And right. and like she loves the dollhouse and just wants like the best dollhouse that she can put them in. And that is all I ever was to her. And I think it's all that she was ever capable of, of expressing because there's stuff within herself that's unresolved that she never addressed, that she never took care of. And I don't know what that stuff is. And, you know, you've talked about forgiveness and um, uh, like letting go and, 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 and going forward and all that. And um, I cannot forgive the cruelty and the gaslighting and the theft of my childhood. But I absolutely do not need to live in, like live there anymore and move past it. Like I'm talking about it a lot now, right? I I have talked about this more in the last two months than I have in the last 10 years. Uh, it's just part of this whole process, right? Yeah. Um, I have worked really hard to not let this be the thing that like is constantly buzzing around my head. Like I've described my anxiety as a little swarm of bees that's kind of always around my head, right? And sometimes they're really loud and they're really swarming and other times they're like super cool and relaxed, you know? Yeah, yeah. But they're always relate. there. I can relate. <laughs> they're always there and they're always ready to swarm and go bananas. Like that's just part of, you know, the way my brain takes care of itself. Um, uh, like all of this stuff is just, it's gonna be part of me no matter what. And I have to think about like, what am I going to do? And how am I going to move forward with all of this? I don't forgive it because it's unforgivable. Like it's in the book. I don't want to talk about it because it's really upsetting and re-traumatizing, but it's in the book. They participated in my sister and me being abused on the set of a movie. They allowed it to happen. They did not take us off the set. They did not protect us. They failed in the number one responsibility that parents have for children, which is to protect them and keep them safe. And they didn't, they sold me to this production company. Uh, and, and then just kind of threw my sister in also like, because they wanted the money and my mom wanted a, a trip. Right. 
it's it's unforgivable stuff. It's just it's terrible, inexcusable things, traumatic moments that like for decades I was like, I really need to talk about this thing that happened on the set of this movie because it was super upsetting to me. And the way that mom would reply to it was, well, that was really hard for all of us. Oh, okay. I'm sure it was really hard for you as a woman in her 30s and an adult who's not being forced to work three units at the same time when they're 13. Um, and and they're being like regularly abused by by like the director of the movie. Um, uh, I'm sure it was really hard on you. It all, be, it all becomes about her. It, it always goes back to them. All of it. And I write about this too. There's a thing in the book where I directly address her and I say like, listen, I really want to believe so much that part of you is saying, oh my God, I got to, I just hadn't thought about it this way or like, Not capable. or like, yes, that that is, or I'm sorry or whatever. But the reality is the woman I knew for 46 years is just so heavily invested in her victim narrative. That, always that, a victim. Always a victim. Always and and, a and victim. that, and that in their version of the story, I'm just angry. And like, yeah, part of me is angry and it's super justified. It's, just, I, it's I, super, super justified. It's really Jesus. okay, you know? I, um, yeah, I hear I hear you as this little boy yeah. that's just crying for someone to just fucking listen to them. Yeah. To confide someone to confide in. Yeah. Someone to just be loved by unconditionally. And it's been something you've been searching for your entire life. And at least now you have a family. Yeah. And you have that yeah. because that's all you've ever wanted. And it was not reciprocated. Yeah. And that is devastating. And you have to, I mean, you have to be proud of yourself for taking these steps, even though it seems, look, you, you wrote this book. I mean, this is therapeutic. This is, yeah. I think you, you write because it helps get things out. That's yeah. why we do a lot of that. That's yeah. why we write. And and I think that's that you have to be proud of yourself, are you not? I don't spend I'm not. I don't spend time I I'm not proud of myself. I'm grateful that I have had the opportunity to express these parts of myself. And I'm grateful that I have had the support to tell my truth. And I am grateful for all the wonderful good things in my life that I have worked really hard for. Like I've done this and my wife and I did all of this together. We worked so hard. We were just, um, she and I took a little tiny little uh, 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 couple of day little vacation. Um, uh, uh, I guess it was earlier this month. And we were like, in a fancy place and it was really beautiful and really quiet and peaceful and wonderful. And we were out for a walk and I said, you know, I just want to take a minute and, and honor and be grateful to like 35 year old us that we decided that our marriage and our family and our partnership was worth whatever it takes and that we faced every we faced down everything together and that we never gave up and that we really kept working and with my wife's support and the like the guidance and the understanding and the professionalism of my agents and my manager we were able to like go okay well what do you want to do with your life like who do you want to be what do you want to do and it's like i want to be a storyteller i i really want to do that i want to like I want to be the person in the world who was never there for me. 
right? I want to be a person who, for whatever reason, is like inspiring and helpful and dependable uh, and, and reliable and supportive and inspiring. Like I want to be the person I need in the world. And we got there and we're there right now. And this is beautiful and incredible. Yeah. And like in the midst of the world being just absolutely on fire and things being terrible right now, we're really lucky. And we need to not take that for granted. And I want to remember the younger version of myself who was ready to give up, who absolutely didn't. And when either one of us was like, I don't know, the other one was like, no, we got this. And we pulled through all of it together. So I don't know why like feeling proud of myself is a thing I can't do seriously. I can do it as a joke, right? Like when I got I'm on the- I'm super proud when I, of doing it. When I got on the New York Times bestseller list, I called- Every one of my friends and I was like, hey, what's up? How many New York Times bestselling authors do you know? Add one to the list. <laughs> and I was like, guess what I'm going to do for the rest of our lives? I'm that's, signing all your cards great. from your friend, Will, New York Times bestselling Best author, author, right? Like it was just, it's a joke thing. And I've done it. And my friends think it's really funny. Awesome. It's a bit. That's awesome. Like, that's but, your but, way but, of being but, proud. Yeah. But, but, but really honestly, right? Um, Pro feeling proud to me feels like I'm up on a precipice and like I might get knocked off of it, right? But feeling grateful puts me in a place that feels more like I am comfortably in like a really safe, uh, like I'm not on a precipice. I'm like in a really beautiful, lush, verdant valley. Right. And um, you, have, you have a little relief. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some relief of all this. This is the therapy. This yeah. is the, um, what do you do for your anxiety? What do you do? But you should obviously go to therapy. Yeah. But what um, else helps you? I take medication. Uh, so I take uh, antidepressants every morning and that helps my brain regulate its chemical curiosity. And um, uh, I specifically do not talk about the, the, the meds I take. They, I, they're all for I different people. I do, right, I do not right, want right, to right. influence someone else's choice. But afterwards, choice. I want you to tell but, me because okay, I'm experimenting. Okay, I'll tell you. Yeah, we can, we can talk about it for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and uh, I have found tremendous relief from uh like uh cannabis therapy here in california um just like uh cbd and cbn uh chemically in my brain they take that hive of bees and it just and it's like bee smoke which is a funny joke right like it just sort of like goes around them and it like settles them down um and uh uh it breaks my cycle of catastrophicizing like that's a thing that I used Boy, to do. do, I all, do that that's a thing that I used to do all the time. Like I would go from, huh, we're out of milk to, and the house is going to burn down. Like, I mean, like it was. Everything is <laughs> everything such a big was, deal. I everything know. is. I tell you that, Ryan, all the time. Like, why is everything a big deal? Yeah, why It's does, not. Yeah, it doesn't need to be like this at all. So. Everything's, like, yes. Yeah. Um, also for, for me, keeping things inside and not work, not talking them out, not writing them down, whether I'm talking them into a recorder for myself in the future, just to have, or if I'm writing it in a journal, so it's not like living present in my head or whatever, not letting it sit inside of me, like, like really helps. And then I've also had to learn that, like, I want to say nine out of 10 times, but like 10 out of 10 times that my anxiety is like, everything's the worst thing in the world. And like the plane's going to crash and blah, 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 like, right. Every single time it's like that, it literally only exists in my head. I know. It's not out in the world, you know? You're, like I was, you're so right. When, when I was, I was just traveling and I was so 
stressed about it. And I just kept saying to myself, dude, you're invisible. Nobody even knows you're here. How many people have you paid close attention to since you walked into the airport? Zero. Guess what? Nobody's paying attention to you. Stop being so anxious about shit. Like, don't worry about stuff. It's really we okay. We really think that everyone's so aware of us and they're well, not. Well, and that is also a thing that happens in our business because I know, like, it hasn't been this way for me for a really, really, really long time, right? And I'm sure it was like, and I'm, I don't know if it's still this way for you, but I know that it was this way for you at least recently. There are places that we go and people are like, holy shit, I, I see you on TV and they get excited, sure. you know, and that's just part of our lives, right? I actually really like that. It makes me feel really good because I know when, when I like somebody's work and I just want to say, oh man, thank you for that record or thank you for that TV show. It just... I loved it, you know, and that person, if that person is like, go away, I'm massively bummed out. And it's like, oh man. So I make an effort to be the person I want to encounter. Right. So I like want to reciprocate and honor and like, really like, you know, give that back a little bit. That's great. But it also means that when, like when I was on the big bang theory and my episodes would air, I would have to be kind of hypervigilant for about seven days. Because I really have to be aware of people like clocking me and like, you know, just sort of like aware of someone going, you know, how you go into a place and you're like, oh, that guy just made me like, he's not saying anything, but he knows like, you, like we who live in genre television like that, that's just what we do. Right. right. Because, because nerds watch genre television and the thing that nerds do that we love, like, and I include myself in this group, right. Is like. We just know everything about what we're doing. You know, we know all the actors. We know all the characters. We love it. So when we see somebody from a show that we like, you know, it's just like, ah, like, I know it's, and I don't ever want to let somebody down ever, ever, ever. Yeah. It's that's the, the worst, worst thing. thing. One time just, in my well, life, yeah. I had a really bad flight, a terrible transatlantic flight. Landed. I was exhausted. I was in the one of the worst mental places I've been in a really, really long time. This is like 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And this group of girls was like, hey, we want to take your with Yay, we love you. We're here for a thing. You want to take a picture? And I was like, I cannot do that. And Anne, who was my girlfriend at the time, was like, listen, I know you're having a bad day, but those girls don't know that. And this is their only encounter with you. Like, do you want to leave them like that? And I was like, I absolutely don't. And I went up to, wow. and I went over to the girl who had approached me and I said, listen, um, uh, I, I, I apologize. Um, uh, I told her what, you know, I was like, I just had a terrible flight, but yeah, let's do this. And, 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 uh, and I'm sorry for, for just sort of like forgetting for a moment. And this girl, you know, the teenage girl was like, didn't really know what to do with that. It was just sort of like, okay, let's take the picture. You know, yeah. I'd be interested to know because it was so long ago. Like she's an adult woman now, right? You know? sure, does she I'm remember? Sure, I'm exactly curious to know, like, does she remember? And if she remembers, like, what was her reaction then? Wow. This, this, is, uh, this is called Shit Talking with Will Wheaton. This is rapid fire. Okay. This is, these are from my top tier patrons. I love you. Uh, thanks for supporting the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. If you want to become a patron, I'll message you. Uh, Raj, what do you consider the key to maintaining a happy and lasting relationship with your significant other? Respect, mutual respect, uh, open, honest, and clear communication. Steph A, what's your favorite memory of being on Star Trek? You, you mentioned it earlier, walking in that little place where you could see the, yeah. the whole ship, right? I, uh, God, you know, the thing is like, there's so many, there are so many incredible memories. I'm trying to pick one that's really cool that, that will, that will, that your page, that your patron will be like, yay, I'm glad that they chose that one. On stage nine, the stage where the, 
where the corridor is. Right. It's where the transporter room is. And it's where the engine room is. Right. More than once, teenage me walked in there, walked into the transporter room, pretended to be beamed into the Enterprise, walked down the corridor to <laughs> engineering and turned on the engine. It's just neon lights, right? On a timer. So like they, they, they strobe, you know, but I knew where the switch was. And I was like, yes, I will activate the engines for the Enterprise. Wow. And I did that. So, That's in, so from, from one point of view, teenager walks down the wall, walks through the set and turns on the lights. Okay, that's great. That's not what that was for me. That was for the little boy who at five years old listened to Star Trek records in the, on the little Fisher Price record player because I wanted Star Trek all the time. I wanted, I just, I wanted wow. nothing but science fiction when I was a little boy. That's all I wanted. Um, uh, yeah, like I was super primed for Star Wars when Star Wars happened because I was already in the, like I was already way into science fiction. But like when I did that and I turned that on, I was a person making the engine of the Enterprise start. I love that. And that was pretty, that, and that was pretty great. I love that. Uh, Nico, really quickly, my two boys were fortunate enough to create and publish a comic just like you. What did you enjoy about the process? I really enjoyed collaborating with artists. Um, uh, when, uh, when I write a comic book script, and I'm writing one right now, um, I will... Uh, when I'm talking about like setting the scene and doing visual references and things like that, I always tell the, I try to communicate to the artist in the, in the stage direction, you know, and I, and I have these conversations with them ahead of time. This is a collaborative process. You have your ideas. I'm not directing a thing that you're like making happen, right? We're doing this together. So I think this place looks like this. I think this creature kind of looks like this, but like, what do you think? Right. And each time those artists have been, uh, just like they've blown me away. I got to work with Jamie McKelvey when I wrote, uh, when Felicia Day and I wrote the Fox comic uh, right. for, 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 for the, the run in the guild. And Jamie is a friend who I've known forever. Um, but like I was able to give him some direction and he brought this thing to life in a way. I was just like, the comic nerds are like, wow, you got Jamie McKelvey from Phonogram to do that for real? <laughs> like, that's a really big deal, right? That's awesome. And then like on the, uh, I, we had two covers done. Emma Rios did one cover uh, and Paul Duffield did the other cover. And I got to just give Emma Rios and Paul Duffield, artists who I just, I stand them, right? I was like, I would kind of like it if this, it liked like this and it looked like that. And then they both like took my idea and made it like, even better and like made it their version of it. Just love I it. absolutely love that. I love that. It's really fun. I have the thing that I have always enjoyed the place that, you know, I talk about how like I never wanted to be an actor. I don't like, I know people who are actors and artists who just like, boy, they cannot wait to get up on that stage. You know, right. they cannot wait to like get into the material. Like it is, it's their thing. I have a friend, my, my friend, a friend of mine right now is about to start doing Grease and she's so excited that she's playing Rizzo in Grease, you know, and I'm watching the pictures of the table read. And she I'm loves seeing, every bit of and it. And I'm seeing her, she's like crazy about it and loves it, right? If I were there, I would love the camaraderie, being in a cast, the relationship you form, when, when, we're, when we're lucky enough to land in a cast where we genuinely like each other, and we and there are no divas 
and we form those really great, meaningful friendships that for us from next generation have lasted for 30 years, right? Like, I love that. I don't necessarily need the like being on the set thing that like my friends who really, really want to this right. do it, right? I get that when I'm writing, when I'm storytelling, when I'm hosting Ready Room for CBS, like I get it in all of those different places. So like, it is the camaraderie and that- The artistry, the- All of us kind of working together right. to generally row an enormous, enormous ship that none of us could move by ourselves. Yeah. But if all of us row in the same direction, we can move it a little bit. That's cool. I love that. Uh, the book is still just a geek. Uh, it's the follow-up to just a geek. Will Wheaton. I, uh, this is the book. It's amazing. Should I read the book or should I, the audio? I would strongly encourage With you. With you narrating. The, I, I, I would encourage you to grab the audio. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this conversation. I've, and, I've loved then, this. Then, this I, is... then I believe you will. Enjoy, I, I think, I, I hope that there will be some familiarity in the audio version of it. I can't wait. It just feels like I'm going to learn so much. I've learned so much from having, I hope one day you'll come back. I would love that. And this look, has man, no, been no, fantastic. No pressure, no expectations. I'm curious to know what you get out of it when you're done with it. If you wanted to. hundred percent. I'm just curious. I could tell if it's anything like this conversation, I'm going <laughs> to just love it. Because this is just, it, it hits home in a lot of ways that you, you wouldn't know because I haven't expressed. But there were so many times where you've, you, you were speaking where I was just going, wow, wow. And another thing is I was looking at Ryan who was like going, wow, because he didn't have this kind of childhood. He had unconditional love. Oh, dude, so that's coming, the best. So coming oh, from so someone who's had it, he's just like, it's so, uh, it, it's so foreign yeah. to you, right? And it's, uh, and it's tragic. It's, it's tragic, but it's also wonderful that you're here and you're so open and forthcoming. And I just, uh, I'm glad you came by and I thank, I, you. I thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. Yeah. Thanks. What's your Enjoy. handle? What's your Instagram handle? So it's, uh, I am it's Will Wheaton. It's Will Wheaton. It's Will Wheaton. Um, and if, and if your listeners want to find me and don't want to remember a ton of information, willwheaton.net is my blog. Great. And that's everything is there. They're blogging. They can find out everything you're doing. Everything, Tabletop. Every, everything you're doing is so there. many things. This guy is full of ideas, full of great things. So what is it again? The website? Willwheaton.net. Willwheaton.net, folks. And check out this book. Still just a geek. This has been an absolute joy. Thanks for Thanks, uh, being on the show. It's, it's been a real privilege. Thank it's you. It's been awesome. I mean, I didn't expect him to be that open. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to do much. And that's that's always nice when when the guest is willing to come in and and really go for it. Yeah, it makes my job so much easier when I don't have to pry shit out of them, and they're just open to talking about depression. That's what you and, want, and all. And their parents, boy, is what a relationship he had or lack of with his family. That makes me really sad. I mean, we all have relationships with our parents, whether they're bad or good or somewhere in the middle. But his was was south of bad. Yeah, and it was rough. It was rough. Shh. I appreciate you, Will, for uh, being so um, forthcoming. vulnerable, yeah. forthcoming. Um, it's nice. It's good. It's good to hear. It's not good to hear that it happened to you, but it's good to, for other people to hear your story, and it will help them. I hope. Um, uh, thank you, guys, for listening today. Um, it's been a really crazy week. Crazy week. I'm still dealing with my anxiety. Um, Ryan, how are you doing? You're still dealing with it as well. Yeah. I'm just in a different way. Yeah. Got to keep talking. Yeah. You yeah. always feel free to call me, dude. Yeah. Seriously, I go through it every day. So 
you know, I'm here. I always, I know what it's like. I freaking know exactly what anxiety feels like and depression. I know what they feel like. So if you ever have any issues and you're like, I need somebody who besides better help, of course, <laughs> because, uh, you know, they're your therapist. But if you ever yeah. want to talk to a friend yeah. about, hey, did you ever try this drug or did you ever try this yeah. medication or have you ever felt like this just to, to relate? Sometimes yeah. that helps. Well, I'll take you up on that. Take me I up on it, it, dude. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, thank you, patrons. We're going to read the top tier patrons. Patreon.com slash inside you to support the podcast. Uh, I love you and uh, become a patron and I'll send you a message. Here are the shout outs. Here we go. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Nico P, Robert B, Jason W, Sophie M, Kristen K, not to be confused with Kristen. Crook. Correct. Raj C. Joshua D, CJP, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jamal F, Janelle B, Kimberly E, Mike E, Eldon Supremo, 99 More, Ramira, Santiago M, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Belinda N, Chris H, Dave H, Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, Betsy D, Chad L, Marion, Dan N, Big Stevie W, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Andy T, Gavinator, David C, John B, Brandy D. That's a bong hit. Yavor, <laughs> Camille S, The Chief, Joey M, Design OTG, Eugene and Leah. Hi, guys. Nikki G, Corey K, or no, Corey, just Corey. Katie B, Nicole, Patricia, Heather L, Jake B, Megan T, Mel S, Orlando C, Caroline D, Christine S, Sarah S, Eric H, Jennifer R, Shane R, Emma R, Jeremy V, Andrew M, Robert G, Zatoichi, Zatoichi, 77. Hello again. I've screwed it up again. Andreas, Ann or Andreas, Andreas. Oracle, Chris R, Michael F, Karina N, Samantha W, Michelle D, Amanda R, Lovecraft E, Amanda S, Jen B and Kevin E. Those are the top tiers. Uh, I thank you for listening. If uh, you really enjoyed Will Wheaton, you're still listening right now. Tune in next week. Please subscribe. Please uh, follow us on our handles. You know them by now. Uh, they're right here if you don't, or just rewind to the beginning of the show. We love you. Uh, from myself in the Hollywood Hills, California, I'm Michael Rosenbaum. Ah, Brian Day is here in the Hollywood Hills, California. <laughs> <laughs> A little wave over the camera. We Jeez. love you. Be good to yourselves, all right? I'll see you next week. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.